0: Welcome, welcome again to another rendition of WTF interviews. My name is Sir Royce Brialis, and I'm with my prestigious co host, the esteemed Dr. Raheem Young. How's it going, brother?
1: Everything's well. Uh, how things are, you're
0: Ah, No complaints over here, man. It's getting a little chilly out here, but that's okay. I got some hoodies. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and I'm also pleased to announce we have a special guest, Dr. Michael Allen. How's it going, brother?
2: Pretty good, I can't complain. Thank you so much for uh, being here with both of you. It's definitely a distinct honor and privilege to share this space. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for taking the time out to, to join us. So uh,
0: yeah, thanks for joining us. the first question I asked is, I got to ask it a different way because I got some intel about Dr. Dr. Allen. Uh, so Dr. Allen, if you could tell me what you do professionally and also, uh, when is your uh, first uh, born going to be born?
2: Uh, I'll start off with the firstborn. So my firstborn will be here uh, in the next few weeks. Uh, that's that's the plan. So any day now, but uh, no later than the nineteenth. Than um, so I'm looking forward to that. Very excited. Um, in terms of the professional piece, i have a career. I spent most of my time as a, as an educator. Uh, I would consider myself an ambassador for educational change and more importantly equity of all vulnerable and marginalized people. Um, but I spent the last sixteen years since I've been out of college first teaching, um, then principal in a private school uh, 24, and then fast forward uh, 14 years later, I spent 14 years as a principal of some sort and had just recently transitioned completely out of public education. Um, so it's a unique dissonance that I think we go through as human beings. Uh, both of my parents transitioned over a period of eight months, mom in December and then dad this past July. Um, and, as catastrophic and devastating as it was, it was this unique opportunity to sort of redefine and reconceptualize what it is that I feel like I was born to do and how I can use my gifts and talents to share with the, with the world uh, for this next chapter of my life. So I left public education in September. I'm almost three months removed. Um, I'm in this world to where now I'm transitioning to what I would call grassroots equity work. So I'm spending most of my time either writing, speaking, teaching, coaching, or um, policy advocacy. So. Very excited! It's a new world for me, and I feel um, unleashed and liberated in a sense. That's
1: cool, man. How do you feel like um, the work that you're doing now will prepare you for fatherhood? Uh,
2: You know what's interesting is like I had that's a great question. Um, I had this epiphany maybe about four, three months, about four months ago, right after my father passed. I had been preaching this idea of, of wellness. Um, be making sure you're good so you're good for others and how you have to radically act in a way that makes the most sense for your own humanity to really be able to 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 get the restrict or I should say um, unleash the the deepest parts of yourself so what happened once I got to that point and recognizing like I wasn't good you know and I needed to really pour into myself and not carry all this stuff for everybody else it forced me to practice what I preach so I think what I've started to be able to understand and I spent so much of my time serving as a father, uncle, uh, big brother, leader, whatever you call those roles that we serve when we're mentoring and we're leading um, different types of organizations and responsible for for children. Um, but what I've been able to realize for me is that there's something about your own journey that fortifies your legacy and not just um, not just in a tangible sense, but even in a spiritual sense. So 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 much of my peace and comfort over what I've been able to accomplish in my career gives me a sense of urgency and presence to really be able to pour into my daughter uh, for every moment that she's here and, and being able to, to give her what I have acquired over the course of my life. But not not in a way to where she's you know waiting outside my office for me to finish this work up at school and, you know, typing these different reports. I feel much more plugged in today um, than I probably would have been five years ago, 10 years ago you know, whatever period of time. So I think so much of what I, I understand is just the most important thing that children need um, is it would be their parents. Um, and I think all the data, I'm sure you all have done this research, all the data says number one success factor for children, particularly children of color is in fact the presence of their father. So for me, just being able to to not just be um, a person whose name's on a birth certificate or a person who's, um, pushing money in a direction, but being a human being authentically can be my whole self and model that and, and love her in that way. So. So take me back to that
0: moment, man, when uh, it's, it's with your wife, right? You're, uh, you're having a uh, kid you. No, not wife. Uh, partner, partner. Partner. Okay, we're going to say partner then. Okay, so walk me through that. So when you first found out, she told you the news,
2: I'm pregnant. Like, what went through your head during that time? Man, we weren't trying. So I would say how, I, the first thing that came through my head was how, you know, like how how, you know, um, that's the, that's probably the most PG I can I can say about it. But it was it was an out of body experience, you know, because the one thing I can describe, and, and you maybe can at least go with me from a um, spiritual perspective is one of my last conversations with my mother who passed in December. So to give you a context, um, you know, it was it was it was late. March, early April when I found out. Um, And so um, my last conversation with my mom was more just, you know, Michael, you've done all these different things to become this important person and you've made people proud for generations in our family. Go figure out what makes you happy. And so I was like, okay, cool. Um, And I was thinking happiness meant traveling around the country. You know, I was thinking of going to Europe like James Baldwin and traveling around the globe in, in, in a unique way. And I thought that meant my own independence by myself. You know, so, so, so I wasn't uh I wasn't thinking um about this at all. So it was it was a beautiful surprise uh after I got through the initial shock of like, okay, um, I wasn't expecting this. Um, but it you know, it's been it's been a different type of journey for sure, of epic proportions. Um, got all these different cosmic emotions going on inside my body as I'm getting ready for that. But uh, my, my, initial, my initial shock was just like, okay, um, how can I be supportive, but also regulate what's going on inside my body but, and not be alarmed? I think oftentimes when you get surprises in life that you aren't prepared for, you can get defensive. So I, I was just really trying to stay focused on understanding to even, most people don't know that it's really, really hard to have a baby. It's really, really hard to conceive a child. And so, and recognizing that that's what happened in this moment, I kind of had to embrace that and just live in that space for a minute. So, yeah, the uh, WTF moment—that's what you were thinking. <laughs> Say that again. I said you was thinking WTL. Man, it, listen, <laughs> that—that's—that's that's the baseline. I, I just didn't. Hey, I wasn't. I wasn't thinking for you know. I wasn't preparing for that in, in my in my actions before that moment. But uh, you know, I, I, I'm a spiritual brother, so I believe nothing happens by accident from God, so. So can you talk
1: about like how that, um, how that news changed like your um, your world your view? I know you were talking about like your, you thought happiness was like traveling around the world, seeing different things, stuff like that. But how did that, um, how did you get in that news change the, the way that you perceived happiness and like your, your view of everything?
2: Yes, you know, here's what I would say it's it wasn't just it was a journey is what I would say So sort the of. so moment one which is what we described like the first moment when I'm getting that information um was one emotion but I think when I over time I feel like there's this this unique journey that I started to, to go on that I think most parents can relate to but in particular fathers this idea of recognizing that your life isn't just your own You know, of course, we understand that in the context of the sacrifices of our ancestors who come before us, even our parents and grandparents. But I think what there was this deep and keen ability to sort of recognize that, you know, all the things that I've done and haven't done and all the things that I represent. Isn't just me, Um, there's 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 something else, a part of my legacy, that's a part of that's interconnected to what I do and don't do. Um, So there was a sense of. um peace that came with recognizing, okay, it, you, you're passing on the proverbial baton in a sense, right? In terms of who you are, your, your your literal DNA. But there's another part of me that feels like that spark or that fire that you have inside of you to motivate you to do things. It just kind of got a bit, a bit bigger um, and recognizing that my why wasn't just about what I saw for myself. It was also about um, the things that will come after me, the, the things that are bigger than my consciousness. And so I just felt like I was a bit more Fortified and centered with the universe and recognizing that I'm more than than what I've been able to deal with and see over the course of my life. But there's a bigger, larger scale of impact that we have with our opportunity to be on this planet and share our gifts. So that was probably, you know, and, and I, again, I would describe it as a journey. Obviously, you know, on on day one, I was feeling something. I was a bit of a panic um, on week one. It's like, OK, I'm getting my mind around this by month one. I'm starting to feel authentic excitement. Um, and where I'm at now is like, it's, I just I just need her to be here. Like, I'm ready for her to be here already. Like, if I could just take her out then I would just go <laughs> I would be good with that. But I'm I'm ready for her to be here um, and love on her. So
0: Yeah, so uh, yeah, a quick condolences, man, for, you know, you say you lost your mom and your dad recently. Um, talk to us about your dad for a second. What was he like? What was your relationship like with
2: uh with your father? Yeah, man, y'all are asking difficult questions. I'm like, man, I was out the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the great thing. You just get out the way. So, so what's interesting is there was a preparation process for my mom. Um, uh ease into the dead question. There was a preparation process for my mom, who we knew had been battling cancer for a couple of years, and then we got the word directly from our doctor that she was going into hospice. So we had so much autonomy, my siblings and I with my mom and and had an opportunity for reconciliation, healing and then building new memories. However, with my father, but uh, what was tough about the transition is just we hadn't had that those conversations. My last my last time that I saw my dad was probably when I was in middle school. And the last time that I talked to him on the phone was probably when I was in college, Uh, a little bit after I had a adopted my youngest brother and brought him away to school with me. Um, And so unlike my mom with my dad, it was sort of this, this unique uh, and tumultuous relationship that, that started to repair itself just with time and attrition and growth and understanding as I, as I made mistakes as a man and understood things differently, I started to say, okay, I can see this a little bit different, but my, my relationship with my father was, was so interesting in that, one day I stumbled into maybe about 31, 32, that so much of the trauma that comes with um, dysfunction is that you start misdiagnosing connections and feelings with different things. So I never realized that because of my dad's absence, I've spent so much of my life questioning whether or not I was lovable. And that, that breakup feeling you get when you, 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 you lose, you're walking away from a relationship um, with a woman triggered that same, it felt the same as that same uh, absence that my father had. Uh, so it's been been really a journey for me to, to heal what uh, was going on with what I was feeling with him. And as I sort of healed that, I started to, I feel like address some of the things that were dysfunctional about how I perceive love and my value and and, and, what, and how I love myself and, and what that meant for other people. But my dad and I weren't really close, um, which, which was as many men could imagine, um, it, it was, it made me angry for a long period of my life. I, I started to transition maybe in my, in my twenties because it just was exhausting. Right. But by the time I was um, nearing the time to where trying to prepare, cause I brought both of my parents eulogy in a sense. Um, and I thought for a second when I was just talking to certain people that my father knew it wasn't just drug addiction, right. That, that explained, explained explain why he wasn't there. It was also some direct uh, radical knowledge that he had at some point in his consciousness to say, I have some emotional um, immaturity, I have some dysfunctional ways, and I have some things that potentially could cause grave harm to my children. And the best decision I can make as a dad is actually to not be in their lives, to protect them from what I don't have control over. And so I feel like his end of life and transition sort of solidified that reconciliation and healing, that journey that I was on because I started to see my dad's love in a different light. I started to see him as a human being, his duality in a different way. And it um, just made me fool, you know, so. But it's a different type of relationship for sure. Um, both of my parents, they both um, struggled with drug addiction once, once crack hit scene in, in many of our communities in the late eighties, early nineties. Um, and they battled that for almost three decades. So. I
1: know, um... And you speaking about your dad? You said that you um, that, that adopted your brother, your younger brother. Yes. Can you talk about that experience?
2: Yeah. So we, uh, um, what what's interesting about it? First, I'll start off with this is shameless plug, but my brother and I co-authored a book, children's book that targets fourth through eighth graders. It's called Brotherly Love, and it essentially details our journey. Um, me, me being halfway through my college career, um, playing football at this. Uh, um, predominantly white institution in, in Indiana, Valparaiso University. And um, so I'm just wrapped up my freshman year about halfway through sophomore year, had finally found the flow, enjoying things. And i calling home the brag to brag to my younger two brothers and my sister about us, our impending championship that we were getting ready to win the next week. And um, my, six, my 15-year-old brother at the time, who's a baby, um, five years younger than me, um, sort of just bursted into tears, talking to me about how he was just at this crossroads in life. He was on the verge of dropping out of high school and um, selling drugs and going down that path. And so um, I kind of um, told him, kind of haphazardly, not really serious, as, as serious as you can be as a sophomore enjoying a life in college. Um, I sort of said, if things didn't get worse, worst case scenario, I would come. If things didn't get better, I would come home and uh, and get him and bring him back to school with me. I had no idea what it would look like when I made that statement. His grades got a lot worse um, anyway, and I ended up going back home, um, convincing my mother to sign over guardianship. So I adopted him and enrolled him at the local high school in Valparaiso, Indiana. He was a sophomore in high school when I was a sophomore in college. So the next two and a half years, um, we lived together. So that's what I mean when I say my brother, but he was, he's the baby. I'm the second oldest of five. He's the, he's the fifth. Um, And so, what ended up happening after that is it's, it's a unique journey. I, you know, I could go into more detail, but it's you know, systemic racism at its at its at its at its worst. Um, him being the only black uh, played athlete at his school, I should say, athlete on the football team at the time, um, and, and, and experiences you can imagine with that isolation in, in Northwest uh, Indiana. So, you say you were at Valpo. Valpo, yep. Okay, you're familiar. Yeah. Yeah, I am. yeah, it's a different word. The university is different in a sense, though, than the city and the in the surrounding county. Um, but I, I really didn't have any complaints. Um, but I, I got a different, direct understanding of the community once my brother was there. Before that, I was just a, a black football player, so that I was treated as such. It wasn't wasn't bad. It was it was just more like an athlete, you know. So. Did you all have like? Uh any direct conflicts? With each other? Yeah. Uh, let me lean into that a little. So we had a lot of conflicts, but he was a baby brother. So what I will start off with is that uh, Gilbert, who that's his name. Gilbert and I never had one single physical exchange in our entire life, not one, um, because he was so young. He was five years younger. And so I had an older brother who was one year younger. We fought all the time. and I had a sister after me who was about a year and a half younger. And then a a middle brother in between me and Gilbert, um, we fought all the time as well. And then he and he and uh, Gilbert fought all the time. But between because of the age distance, it didn't make sense. I wouldn't put my hands on somebody who's five years younger than me. That's just disrespectful. And he never he he always treated me with the respect of not just a big brother, but more like like a father. Um, So he listened to what I had to say to him, respected it. Um, But we did we certainly butt heads when he came to live with me because he was a teenager who wanted to do what teenagers do. And because I wasn't just his cool big brother anymore, now I was his father figure, he thought I didn't know what I was talking about, you know? Um, And so there are a lot of those contentious conversations around trying to make sure he understood the opportunity that was before him and built resiliency and things like that. And then of course, um, that I had an opportunity to have independence too, that that made sense for me at that phase of life. So we definitely had a number of verbal exchanges but never, I, I have definitely considered putting my hands on him, but it, I, I felt like it wasn't the appropriate thing in the situation, right? It wasn't the right response in the situations that we were dealing with. But yeah, we definitely had a number of heated exchanges. Uh, he typically fell into the little brother role and I fell into the big brother role, but never one single, you know, we, I mean, we, didn't even, we had never even got into a pushing match, <laughs> like, you know, which is weird when you have brothers because we fight all, all my other brothers, like we, we definitely throw hands. Um, Nonstop.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was kind of like you had a training, uh, a fatherhood training program right there with your brother
2: already. So, it'll yeah, helped you. Uh, it's going to help you with your daughter, like when she gets here. I hope so, man. I hope so. I just think it's it's always different with girls, though, right? It's yeah. a different part. You can say no much easier and mean it to to a boy, but with a daughter, it's like you got to practice your game face. Um, so I'm practicing already. You know. Yeah,
0: she gonna hit you with them googly eyes though. You already know.
2: Yeah. And and I've had, I definitely feel like I've dated women with children, um, and daughters. And so I, and I consider them like, like family as well. And so I've had a little bit of practice, but it's it's just slightly different when you're thinking of your own. So.
0: So you mentioned, um, your dad not being really a big part of your life growing up. Um, could you speak to maybe one or two role models that, that stepped up in that role?
2: man yeah too too many to mention all of them so here as you can imagine i just there's no man particularly black man a man that can make it to to do anything productive and successful without having some man who served in that role as a surrogate um i would say two to stand out to me probably one of the biggest ones that seemed to redefine how i saw myself as a black man is this man uh, named reggie johnson so he was, uh, he was one of my closest friends. He and his, my son, his son and I were in the same grade level from middle school all the way through. We were close friends all the way through, through high school. Um, and so he would, um, he was our basketball coach for AAU, football coach, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, of course we slept at his house. We ride in his cars all across the country. Uh, but what I remember about him was the the grace and how he approached the conversations. Um, something about, his, his spiritual energy just made me feel like he saw me as his own. And I'll give you examples for that because, um, so his son would, would sometimes have struggles in the class next door to me um, and he would pop up to the school nonstop black man, you know, in the nineties. Um, you know, his gangs is at, are, are at a height in, in my particular community. So he's popping up to the school, checking in on his son. And then after he checks in on his son, he's going around to all the neighboring classrooms where all of us are at, but in particular me to check up on us. So I felt like when we got dropped off at the movie theater or um, Six Flags, stuff like that, if he handed his son a $20 bill, he handed me a $20 bill and everyone else in the car. Um, if we were cutting up, you know, doing stuff we weren't supposed to do um, and he slapped the son in the back of the head, guess what? I got slapped in the back of the head too. Um, but it's the fatherly love, that language that sometimes is unconscious. Um, I never really had that before that experience and not, not with somebody who, who saw more than in one aspect of who I was. Like, I felt like he, he could he could certainly push me to think bigger bigger than my community, but he also could hold me accountable to make sure I understood that I might be good, but I ain't better than the world. And uh, that humility, that grace, that love, um, that fatherly um, persistent perspective and always being around the corner to kind of check in and, and hold me accountable just made so much of a difference in my development during such a delicate period of my life. Um, I would say he's a huge one and then I'll, I'll fast forward and say uh, this black man named Reverend Dr. Gregory Jones, uh, professor, black uh, radical professor, like Jeremiah Wright type of professor In uh, Cornell West brother um, was a theology teacher at Valparaiso and he he actually baptized my brother. Um, we were there. So one of the things we definitely made sure we were good about is no matter what was going on on Friday night, be it football or hanging out or a Saturday football for me or hanging out, we got up and went to church on Sunday. Um, He was a pastor at the church, but just one of the greatest um, revolutionary type mentors in that we, we prayed constantly uh, revisited the Bible and so much of of my self image as a grown man was fortified and developed during that time period. Um, And he served as a father as well and being able to, to give me, authority to step into my spiritual presence and to understand how to be my authentic self in the world that sort of is pushing us into being in a box. Um, and that, that was something that I really appreciated, especially because he didn't have his own kids. So he just poured so much of his love, his support, his guidance into us. And uh, you know I just soaked up every moment with him. I think so much so that he was a theology professor. I think I took one of his classes as a sophomore. And I think I took like seven more of his classes, everything from black church urban ministry, um, Christian's response to social victims, um, anything you can think of that he taught, you know, I, I signed up for it to make sure that uh, I can get closer to him and and really not just pick his brain, but be connected to his spirit. So definitely one of my closest, uh, mentors today. You know,
1: that's dope, man. And it, and it made me think about, um, last night we had a meeting, we have like biweekly meetings with different topics and stuff. And, um, one of the questions from the meeting last night is uh, like, what is a father's role in raising a child's, um, not necessarily them uh, physically, but raising their level of consciousness. Hmm. So uh, like what role do you feel like a, a father plays in that?
2: Man, that's tough. I So I think, I think a key role, I w- I would probably go back and say that Oftentimes, and I don't mean to be stereotypical, but mothers tend to be nurturers by nature, um, tend to be able to solidify some of those foundational parts of who youth are, Um, and fathers are sort of like a conscience um, in that you you want your child, regardless of gender, to sort of hear your voice in those pivotal situations. And not so much think what you would do, but think about who they are in our eyes, right? So when you look at the best version of yourself, how can you show up and activate that response in given situations, which I think would translate into consciousness. But yeah, everything from making sure we build a foundation about who they are and knowing that they're loved and they're protected and they're safe all the time in our arms, but also in the world in relationship to us, but preparing them in a wise way around the different things that they're gonna encounter in a country like ours and the world like ours, especially uh, being people of color but never losing sight of their gift, like this this hopeful part of them that's created and unique and being able to measure that. Um, And that consciousness, again, I would come back to maybe from a social perspective of recognizing that always center yourself in proximity to the rest of the world and the universe and never believe solely what they're telling you about yourself, but also trust the instincts that you have inside of you um, that are bigger than what other people can sometimes understand, but become a critical consumer is something becoming a critical consumer is something I think is pivotal for for fathers to teach their children, not that mothers can't do it. But I do think many dads naturally lean into that role. We're always thinking, okay, cool. I take this job, it means this, this, and this. And what is it that I'm missing? There's all those things that are naturally instinctual for many men. um, And I do think centering that level of consciousness and giving it to children, again, regardless of gender, it's, it's a natural role that many men fall into much like a mother falls into the nurturing role.
0: Yeah, a perfect example that uh, was a, a, a kind of a, a point I made yesterday on that same call was uh, in Boys in the Hood when uh, Ricky got killed, You know, they went to go retaliate and Trey got in the car, but then Trey said, uh, open the door. I don't want to be here. That was his, probably because his dad instilled that in him you know those yep. conversations yeah. he had with his dad cutting his hair uh but the other kid other uh, guys in the car didn't have their dads yep so they didn't have that inner voice you know that inner consciousness that uh dr young was talking about so i think uh yeah have, having that father figure uh that voice just to be in your head like uh when you're doing something that you ain't supposed to be doing uh, yeah it's important exactly exactly yeah. uh the next question I had was really a question I already asked. You kind of gave an answer to it already, uh, Dr. Michael. Uh, and it was a good one, I'm gonna read it to you. He said, uh, I said, uh, what does fatherhood mean to you? And he uh, said, uh, it's uh, one of the greatest ways to give back to humanity. It's submission, vulnerability, vision, balance, and service wrapped into one person. That's good. So can you on
2: that more? <laughs> uh, yeah, I just think there is no better way to give back to the universe um, than, to, than, to, than to literally give back your, your child, your legacy. Um, but what, I, what we never really quite understand as human beings, if we're not careful to slow down and lean into the presence, so I'm a really big proponent of like mindfulness, meditation practices, um, and therapy, for example, just being able to center yourself and recognize that any moment you have to be willing to risk who you are for what you hope to become. And what better way to look into the mirror or look into the eyes of your child and see a reflection of yourself, not as how you see yourself, but as they see you, right? And then what is that? And being a a critical consumer of that. So, okay, so I saw myself as this kind of man. Fathers, we deal with this when we're having daughters, right? All those things we know we weren't supposed to be doing in proximity to women when we're in our teenage years, in our 20s, and you know, some of us even into our 30s, you suddenly have that, you know, oh, you know what, thought process when you're having a daughter. Like, am I getting ready to pay for my actions? But I do think, when you think about what has to happen for a person to be a well-regulated adult for their child, um, it is this delicate dance. You know, you're thinking about where you come from, what you represent, what you're trying to represent, um, what it means to love, and what it means to be loved and how you represent and, and, and deal with that in a way that, that causes um, the perfect storm for your child. So I just think when you, one thing I recognize when my mom passed for the first time is that, you know, <laughs> even though I live in a world that has told me that I'm a black man and I'm heterosexual and, um, and, and I'm accomplished and I'm educated and I'm all these things at my deepest level, I'm just light you know, that's been able to occupy this body for a certain portion of the time. And there's a responsibility that comes with that that's deeper than me, my own thoughts, my own actions, but I have to understand that. And I feel like when you cross the threshold of being a father, your consciousness and your understanding of that is different. So there's a bit more of a natural submissive process that I think we go through um, in, in thinking about it from a parent's perspective, as opposed to just striking out in the world as your own individual and not necessarily knowing there's a part of you that's some other place at any moment in time. And, and that has a accountability um, and connection that matters. So that's what I was trying to capture. Um, and that, just this idea, I, I, there is a part of me that's skeptical, like, what would it be like if it, if it were a boy? Like, if I knew I were having a boy as opposed to a girl, you know, I don't know. <laughs> but, but I do think fatherhood itself, it does, no doubt. Um, I feel like um, settle down, man, like there's roots that go a little bit deeper into the soil, um, as your father, whereas, you know, I, I think to some degree they feel surface level before you're connected in that way. That, that's my thoughts. I'm no, I don't know if you brothers agree with that, but those are my, my thoughts about that part.
1: No, nah, for sure, man, like, uh, you dropped the hell of a bomb and like what you were saying, as far as like your kids, um, not necessarily seeing yourself the way that you see yourself, Mm -hmm. seeing yourself the way that your children see. Mm -hmm. um, A lot of times, like, the way that we see ourselves is based on, like, ego and pride and all that type of stuff. But if you really, like, want to see or know who you really are, it's those relationships, you know, that's that's where you learn who you are through those relationships, and then you work on yourself based on that. So um, I feel you, man. I, I like that. I like that. I think it no is a difference,
0: man, having a daughter, uh, opposed to having a son. Uh, I'll give you my experience. I had my son first. Uh, but when mm-hmm. I had my daughter, I kind of felt like, uh, I don't know, it's like a caveman, uh, barbarian trait came out. I don't know what it is, but it's like a extra sense of like, I gotta be on point. I gotta be like, uh, a warrior for her, mm-hmm. you know, because, uh, you know, she's gonna look for somebody and it might be somebody that's similar to me. You know, based on how I, I treat my daughter. So uh you're gonna see it, man. When you, when she get here, it's gonna it's gonna hit you like a ton of bricks, man. I guess. <laughs> yeah, see it, man.
2: <laughs> I, I I feel it coming. I feel it yeah. coming. Yeah. So yeah, what it, have it, you
0: done uh to prepare for this uh, momentous occasion that is uh, your daughter?
2: Yeah, it's been the biggest thing I feel like I've tried to do is just um Think about what it means to be a support so so a lot of times as as men particularly men of color um that are thrust into leadership like we you know both of you brothers are leaders it's it's clear through your through your authority and your presence um but similar to me i imagine you didn't ask for it like we weren't in line saying hey who wants to come up here and get all this responsibility to be a leader and then we raised our hand and got pulled up there it was like we were we were kind of trying to dip down and get out of it and they still pulled us to the front um i think what i've started to learn was spending so much of my life, I, mean, I don't really even remember a time where I wasn't expected to be a leader. Um, but what I have started to do since I found out about her is determine what it means to be supportive. Like, what does that really look like? Instead of being the person who's always facilitating proactively everything, what does it look like to be supportive? So to see, and for, for me, I think that means, like, how can I see her as she is? as opposed to what I want her to be. And and what does that mean for me as a person who's always been a go-getter, you know, a person who can facilitate everything, but what does that mean for me to step back and say, okay, cool, she needs me to help her connect these two dots as opposed to show her the whole board. Um, So I feel like I've I've started to, you know, I've learned that just from, from trying to figure out what it means to support a woman through pregnancy. Um, it's just a different process than ever trying to support a woman before that. Um, but also uh, meditating a bit more, being more lost in, in my thoughts. So I have this saying that I've developed over the last couple of months is, be forever transformed by the beauty of the present. So this idea that I don't need to worry about what's on my phone. I don't need to worry about the email. I don't need to worry about all that stuff. I need to worry about the fact that I believe my God has blessed me to, to share the presence with two other melanated brothers who are trying to make the universe better. And that's all that matters in this moment. So that presence in this space has a direct transfer and preparation to being a father. Like, so being able to know like, all right, the rest of the world doesn't matter right now because I'm, I'm yours and you're mine and let's figure out how to get through this situation. I've always, I, I've been flirting with that for some years. But I think the level of presence and engagement that I've been starting to tap into through meditation and and um, just kind of um, reflecting and being introspective um, has given has given me some sense of of peace and preparation for her. Um, And then also this idea of like reconceptualizing how I see spirituality. So the more I'm I'm, I'm a bit of a sociologist and a historian that has um, a humanitarian feel to it. So so I like thinking about Christianity and proximity to to Western development, but also spirituality, separate from the religious part of Christianity and thinking about what that means for me as a black man. Um, And how does that influence my ability to prepare myself for my my child? So when I'm having discussions about what does it mean to have faith? um, How can I center my authentic self separate from what I've been indoctrinated into believing in the religious sense and that like yeah I, I, I'm spiritual and I believe in God I consider myself a Christian but I'm not religious and that all those things that sort of allow us to find ourselves standing on heels when everybody else is standing at the at the bottom I don't really believe in that I think we were created to to lift each other up not to judge each other uh, we we're created to love each other not to hate and so there's been a lot of time as I prepare myself, not just to be a father, but to, to be a father, well, a girl there, right? Um, to where I'm thinking, like, okay, what's the emotions that I have struggled with being able to express out loud, even to myself, right? What's the emotions that I struggle with being able to express out loud in relation to my family? And then what's the emotions that I struggle with being able to express out loud in public? And what does that have to do with what I've been taught about, what it means to be a man? Um, and how, how do I feel about that? So some of those things are going on and looking at and reconceptualizing just my own masculine identity. And, and thinking about the implications for my, for my daughter who, who could be whatever kind of person um, that she wants to be and, and just wanting to do the best with being able to expose her to that. So, so much of what I feel like I've been going through is just constantly pushing myself to say, you know, who am I, how do I know? Um, and then what does that mean for, for me as I try to continue to grow into the best version of myself? But I, but I do like my biggest one over the last couple months is like, is that saying, uh, be forever transformed by the beauty of the present. You know, just giving your whole self to that moment, not getting too caught up on the stuff to come or the stuff that has happened to you. It just doesn't matter as much as we sometimes give the credence and weight to it, so.
1: I, I know that you talked about um... And you kind of went into it a little bit, um, like supporting a, a, a woman, right? Um, can you talk about what in that support you've learned about yourself and um, how you were able to grow spiritually from that? I know you, you did kind of talk about it, but.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I think husbands sort of can relate to this. I, I, a lot of men who, who are in marriages that are successful um, and that 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 definition changes by the day, right? Um, but men who talked about being able to find peace and happiness in proximity to a marriage or a union with another woman, with a woman is is this delicate dance with being able to, to understand that your ego brings you things that aren't always real, you know. So so thinking about, okay, so here's a conversation we had, and it triggered these emotions. Um Well, I know what I used to do when these emotions were triggered. (laughs) I know, I know where I used to go. Um, And as I started to think through, well, hold on, for whatever reason, even though I wasn't in that line saying, pick me, God, to have a baby right now, uh, for whatever reason, it was, it was a blessing. It was bestowed upon me and us in this situation. Um, And so as a result, this is a part of my living legacy growing in another person's body. And. I don't have the luxury of continuing to operate the way I did before this, this, this experience, this, this moment. And so I've definitely looked at trying to situate and make sense and get curious about my ego and its impact on how I have made decisions before. And so I I have found peace in being supportive, you know, and the best way I can describe it is I'm okay with being Robin. Like for, for most of my life, I've, found peace in being Batman and, but Robin has some benefits too, you know, Michael Jordan needed Scottie Pippen and I, I've always been accustomed to being Michael Jordan, but in this journey, there's no doubt that for the first time, I'm not Mike, I'm Scotty. you know, I'm not, I'm not Batman, I'm Robin. And what it's given me is a sense of humility, a sense of peace, fluidity, like I feel more like a chameleon in that, okay, but when it's Batman's time and it's my time, I'm taking, throwing this cape on and I'm ready. Um, you know, if it's, if it's the last three seconds of the game, then I'm throwing on my 23 and I'm getting ready to go. But, but right now I'm not, that's not needed. It's needed for me to be able to be Scotty. It's needed for me to be Robin. Um, and it really has been no other experience I've had to go through in my life for such a long period of time. I feel like I've had a game where I've had to do that right or a quarter, um, maybe even a week, but you know, it's nine months when you're getting ready to, to have, which is almost a year. Um, and so to go through that type of transformation has given me a sense of peace with number one, knowing I don't have to carry the weight that Michael Jordan carries or LeBron James carries or, or Batman carries metaphorically, right? I can actually transition into different roles and, and to create something so special as a, as a human being, you can't do it by yourself. So you do have to have this, this reliance on, um, on another person, even from trusting what they're putting in their body every day. And then the nourishment that that'll have to the child, and being able to think about what that means, what that means for you. So things just don't get under my skin <laughs> where they used to before. Uh, my ego certainly is a bit more in check. And I feel like my my light, uh, the purest part of my humanity, seems to, to reign supreme a bit more in this space. So it, it, it definitely is peaceful, but it's weird you know, and scary sometimes. And thinking through like, I have to ask myself sometimes, like, who am I? And I'm sure you brothers can relate to that. Um, and it's a good question. It's, we're supposed to be asking these questions if we're evolving the right way in life. Um, but this this experience, this journey has certainly pushed me to just see a different version of myself.
0: That's awesome. So we're going to get uh, close to wrapping, we're getting close to time. But i have to say, uh, this, this has been one of the Hall of Famers. This episode here. Dr. Young, do you uh, do you concur, man? Can we put this in the Hall of Fame?
2: <laughs> no, I do. It's in the Raptors. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, do I get an award? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, we can send you a T-shirt,
0: man. What size you wear, man? We'll, we'll, we'll chop it up after this. but.
2: Uh... <laughs> no, nah, I'm just giving you a hard time. Uh, yeah, this,
0: this has been great, man. Uh, I, I do appreciate it, man, because uh, everybody that we've talked to so far, they all have their own story. And I guarantee you somebody that's out there listening that has a similar story, uh, to what you're, what you went through and what you, what you're going through currently. Uh, so with that being said, my last question, uh, if you had to give uh, any advice to any dad
2: that's listening right now, uh, what would that advice be? Um, man, ask me in a year. Um, here's what I will say though. (laughs) And I'll, I'll combine this from, from my, my um, informal experience with being a father to thousands of kids as as an educator and then also transitioning this into my own right now. Um, The best gift that I think any dad can give to their child is just giving themselves permission to be the best authentic version of them of themselves. Um, Don't restrict emotions to fit into a stereotypical box, but just be the best version of yourself and trust your instincts in that moment. So there is a time to cry with your child. It is a time to cry um, in front of your child. Um, There is a time to to provide various forms of love and support to to the people who you love and care about um, and always try to make the most of the moment. So that would probably be my advice is, you know, when the the dads who seem to stand out to me as an educator and that have stood out to me when I was a young person trying to navigate through and it made quite the impression on me, what what I see as being consistent is that they somehow knew to be who they were, to stay true to who they were, but always remove the barriers and express their emotions unfiltered to their kids. And that I think transcends uh, one's own identity and being able to center itself in a real way in the world. We don't have to hide behind what people have told us we need to be. We just need to be the best version of ourselves for the people that we love and care about. And that's that's what I think it really means to be a father. It's not just providing. It's in spite of providing. You have to also provide you, not just your resources and money, but your presence. Um, And that is emotional as well. So that would probably be my biggest advice is, you know, be able to show your kids all of yourself. Don't restrict it thinking that means you're strong. Like strong means embracing uh, the vulnerability and all the emotions that come with that because they need that too.
1: stuff Okay right, so I, I guess my last question will be if you could um if you can go back in time to your 18 19 year old self
2: what advice would you give him man that's tough you brothers we, you need to take this show on the road man this is this is ready to take national uh attention for sure um if i go back and talk to my 18 19 year old self what would I tell him? I would probably tell him there is no reason to think that fear is real. Um, Nothing can stop you from being what you were born to do except for you. Um, And so um, just feel fear, do it anyway, but recognize the things that matter today are just small fractions of what you'll become when you look back over the, the sum total of your life or 10 years from now, 20 years from now. So I think at 19 and 18, we're wrestling with Too much of what other people think about us and never really realizing you are a part of something special because you're created that way and everything you need to accomplish what you're supposed to become is already in you Um, so you don't have to be afraid of of how something that's adverse could affect your life and your future everything will work together for your good but you have to trust and live in that and live an unapologetic life um, and be true to who you are at your core which sometimes you don't know in a moment but you have to trust that but don't get too caught up about other people's impressions of you and don't let fear um, become more real than it, than it should be.
1: Good advice. Most definitely, man. So yeah,
0: uh, with that being said, we're gonna go ahead and wrap it. Uh, again, uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Allen, for taking the time out to, to, to share what you've shared, man. It's been, it's been a great
2: episode. Same here, man. Let me know if there's anything I can do. I know you all are doing a lot of work in the Chicagoland area, so let's definitely um, connect after. Sure, and don't hang up. Don't hang <laughs> up, man. We're going to do a little game <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for doing My pleasure.
0: All right, so again, for myself, Sir Royce Brialis, for Dr. Raheem Young, and for Dr. Uh, Michael Allen, thank you again for listening to WTF interviews, and stay tuned for further announcements.